IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we reveal our favorite albums of 2023 so far. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He can't wait to finally talk about the Taylor Swift and Maddie Healy breakup. Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Yeah, I mean, I hope we realize how hopelessly behind the times we are just by mentioning that relationship. Like, Twitter's moved on to Baby Gronk, the Drip King, the Orange Sky New York. It's like um, that Simpsons episode where Homer is about to plunge to his death. But uh, in his car, but like he gets saved by a big trash pile in the ravine. That's that's the great part about the internet. Like no matter how annoying or aggravating a story sounds, like there's always going to be a soft pile of trash which we can make a landing. But we, I mean, we gotta, we 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 just gotta address this, you know. We gotta at least acknowledge yeah. it because you know we had our episode last week. We did our first year and air episode, which. Got a really good response. We have a bunch more yay or nays in our <laughs> mailbox. I, look, I don't know if we're going to do that very soon. You know, we can't, I don't want this just to become like the, the yay or nay show. But that could be like the number one music podcast. You know, that, that could be like a million dollar idea. Uh, but um, we didn't do a show last week. That was a banked episode. So we missed out on the Taylor Swift, Maddie Healy business, uh, which... I think it was advantageous for both of us. You know, we were talking about what we were going to do on the episode this week. And like I said, we're going to be talking about our favorite albums of 2023 so far. So that's a big topic. We're going to get to that here in a minute. But I was like, we need to talk. We need to at least acknowledge this story because um, we're going to be doing the mid-year indie casties next week. And I was just thinking about uh, one of our usual categories, most annoying music Twitter story and this taylor swift medi healy thing this is like the everything everywhere all at once <laughs> of annoying music twitter stories like it's a juggernaut i don't know if anything's going to even come close to it we may not even do that category because it just seems too obvious i mean this seems like it could be potentially the most annoying music twitter story of the decade i, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves it's only 2023 but uh you know, and I don't even want to get into the particulars of this. I just like want to like acknowledge it as a story, yes. and as a and as an annoying story, because once you get into the nitty gritty, my brain does a self lobotomy. I can't even think about it. But just the fact that this was a thing that people were so uh, upset about, and they were doing like multi tweet threads about it, you know, wrestling with the ethics of this whole thing. Um, it really is like the worst. <laughs> aspects of like the internet and the way we talk about things now it was like a a perfect storm of horribleness it was really a thing to behold and again i was glad that we didn't have a show last week and i know you're glad too you were like very reluctant to even acknowledge this story this week you're like i cannot even acknowledge this (laughs) uh the thing and i kind of forced you to at least joke about it here at the beginning because we're going to move on here quick but like because you had, like, real-world experience with this story, right? Like, like, weren't, like, the Swifties in your office <laughs> talking about this? Yeah. I mean, when we have, like, three or more people together having a conversation at work about non-work things, there's, like, a 95% chance it's going to be about Taylor Swift. And, you know, for me, I think 
just the general issue I have with discussion of the music is that I, I tried to explain it that like when you're listening to Taylor Swift, it like does not acknowledge a universe that might exist outside of Taylor Swift. And this is just kind of broadened the universe to also include, you know, Maddie Healy and the national. And, um, but I got to say, like, I'm actually, I think if we can even just even tease at the possibility, this is a net positive, Azealia Banks coming out of the woodworks to say that like Maddie Healy's no James Mercer. Like, can the Gallagher <laughs> brothers come up with like a bigger insult to Maddie Healy's ambitions that like, yeah, you don't have as much swag as the guy from the shins. This is like the best yeah, but- she's come up with since she said like Grimes smelled like a roll of quarters. But like, is it possible that Azealia Banks just loves the shins? Like that she wasn't like putting up James Mercer as like an insulting counterpoint? Oh, no, she, I, I don't doubt that she loves the shins, but it's just like, it's not saying like, hey, you can't fuck with like Harry Styles or you, you're not like as you know, badass is the weekend. It brings up like the most like, and again, I love the shins, but the most like indie kind of wussy act. Like this is how I yeah. see you. And to top it off, you don't write as good of a song as him. And Azealia Banks, I agree with you. Matty <laughs> Healy, you have not written a new slang. You have not written, you know, a record as good as O Inverted World or Shoots Too Narrow. I would throw Port of Morrow in there too. I haven't listened to that one in a very long time, but I'm I'm kind of a wincing the night away defender, yeah. Wincing the night away, the difficult third album <laughs> yeah. from the Shins. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to get into this story. I, I I just had to acknowledge it. I think there was also a part of me that wanted to torture you just by bringing this up because I knew <laughs> how much you didn't want to talk about this. How you actually have people in your real life talking about this, which I do not. People who are like not familiar with the 1975's music and have only uh interacted with the whole Maddie Healy phenomenon through the lens of Swiftyism. It, it yeah. it's really it's really a sight to behold. But I mean we do need to talk about baby Gronk uh, getting rizzed up by Livy. No I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> I know like if you've been on Twitter the past two days, like you've probably seen those words in combination. And I've like probably spent thirty minutes of my time trying to understand what the fuck any of that means. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that this morning, and I was like, you know, I'm 45 years old. I'm not going to dig any deeper into this. Um, there is another thing I wanted to talk to you about uh, before we get to our albums here that happened last week that isn't related at all to indie rock, but I think that there is like a broader thing with this story that came out last week, and it was the New York Times review of this art exhibit in New York that uh, was curated by Hannah Gatsby. Stand-up comedian of uh, Nanette fame. And uh, it's called It's Pablo-matic. Uh, instantly iconic title. <laughs> uh, it's about Pablo Picasso. And it attempts to wrestle with his legacy as, on one hand, a very famous painter. And on the other hand, a very famous asshole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do you reconcile those things? And uh, this uh, review in the New York Times is like uh, just a scathing takedown. Of the exhibit. Apparently the exhibit is very glib. Uh, not very well curated. Lots of very lame jokes. Yeah. Apparently like a lot of like body, like body part type humor in there. Which is which is weird. Um, and the review is one thing. But the reaction to it was very interesting. Because people just love this review. 
and they reacted to it in a way that I think is indicative of something that's bigger than just like this art exhibit that like most of us outside of New York wouldn't even know about or care about. Um, and even bigger than Hannah Gatsby. It, it, it seems like people were reacting to this review in a visceral way, reacting to pop culture of the Trump era, which I think Nanette is like one of the sort of trademarks or landmarks of, of, of that era of, of pop culture. And, and there's two sentences here, or it's about four or five sentences that I want to read that I think is pertinent, perhaps to also the indie music world, uh, if you will. Uh, the, this elevation of stories over art, or at least comedy, was the principal thrust of Nanette, a Sydney stand-up routine which became an American viral success during the last presidency shortly after the wrongdoings of Harvey Weinstein were finally exposed. Nanette proposed a therapeutic purpose for culture, rejecting the trauma of telling jokes in favor of the three-act resolution of stories. And, and then a little bit later in the piece, uh, the writer writes, not, not long ago, it would have been embarrassing for adults to admit that they found avant-garde painting too difficult and preferred the comforts of story time. What Gatsby did was give the audience permission, moral permission, to turn their backs on what challenged them and to enable a preference for comfort and kitsch. Um, I just feel like that's about something bigger than just this exhibit. you know. And it does feel like maybe right now there is a growing backlash to resistance era art. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about the dare in indie sleaze. And I don't want to emphasize that too much because as we discussed in, the, in that episode, the dare isn't actually that popular. Like there were way more takedown pieces <laughs> of that album than the streams of, of the dare's music would uh, seem to justify. Um, but I think there is something out there right now where there's a certain exhaustion with that era and maybe the pendulum is swinging in the other direction. I don't know. Like, what, do, what do you think about that? Yeah. I, I think uh, people were just stoked about this. Not even, not, not just because, you know, they've been harboring some sort of grudge about, you know, this particular comedian and like also, you know, Nanette's been described as kind of like anti-comedy in the sense that it was like, elevating stories over jokes but like the actual exhibit itself i looked at it like there it's just like captions on uh pablo picasso artworks it it, it reminded me so much of like these um sponsored or suggested sites you get on your instagram feed where it's just like the lamest like sub barstool jokes um but uh, yeah i'd also this is the kind of review you never ever 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 get in the music world anymore where it feels like, like, holy shit, like, this is actually taking something down that it could stand to take down. Like, with TV and movies, even the pans are just, like, whatever. The Ted Lasso is not going to get um, completely undone by, you know, a slate review. But, you know, I thought about this in conjunction with the uh, Boy Genius show I went to uh, this past Friday. And, look, I had a really good time. Everyone had a good time there. I wouldn't you know, it's necessarily combine these two things. But um, what stood out to me about Boy Genius, um, which is, I think, kind of more of a post-Trump phenomenon, even though it started in 2018. But, you know, they did a, a land acknowledgement prior to going on, which, you know, like, I, nothing against that. I think it was illuminating and, you know, well-intentioned. 
but they did that at Coachella okay. too. Yeah, which which makes and it again, a lot we, of sense. Should we explain? Yeah, should we explain what that is? Like they basically brought out like Native American people to do like a statement about how this land used to belong mm. to Native Americans, yeah. and it was it was taken from right. Is, is that yeah. what it is basically? Well, yeah. I mean, they had a couple of members of the Kumaye tribe, which you know is the land here, and. Uh, just talking about like how we were on sacred ground and they did a chant for a couple minutes and like the crowd fucking loved it. And, um, but you know, that was like kind of part of an overall bigger picture thing that I saw with boy genius, just about like the wholesomeness of it all. Um, and whether there might be some pendulum swinging. Well, I I think that what they provide is far different than Nanette, which is more of a, that's, that was more of like a pedantic, like, this is the way we need to think about things in the Trump post-Me Too era. Um, and I, But it does remind me, of, I mean, again, that sentence I read from that yeah. review, that it's a, a therapeutic purpose for culture, right. which I think has been the way that art has been framed in, like, the last five or six years, that it is about, that we should be looking at art as a way to process trauma mm. and to, like, go through this therapeutic process. And that's obviously a function of art. Yes. But it does feel like art for art's sake, or art that's irreverent, or art that might be transgressive in some kind of way, like that has been pushed to the side, in some ways even been delegitimized. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder, and again, like the dare is like an imperfect example, because I don't think, I think the dare has been a little overhyped in comparison to like actually how many people listen to that group, but... That is a group that's just like, hey, we're just making dumb yeah. music about <laughs> sex and drugs. And there is no therapeutic use here. Like, we're, it's just pure hedonism. And yeah, like the wholesomeness thing, I do feel like there is a little bit of like, okay, we've had a lot of that lately. Mm -hmm. And it does feel like a little tiresome at this point. Uh, and I don't know. Maybe that's my Gen X point of view, though, because that's a much different world than what young people live in now and what they're looking for. But I, at the same time, it is, you are young people. Like, isn't there like a desire for something that's not wholesome <laughs> when you're 18, 19, 20 years old? I feel like there is, but maybe there's not. I don't know. I'm curious to see how that unfolds though, because we are in a very sort of therapeutic, wholesome type moment. And I, I don't know if we're at the end of it, it feels like maybe we are, but you know, we'll have to yeah, see. Yeah, maybe we're just at the beginning of it, and this is more or less like where things are going right now. Because I think there is an irreverence in Boy Genius that, you know, Nanette and a lot of the um, Trump-era stuff lacked. Like, it's more self-aware. It's more funny. There's humor to it. Um, and also, like, you know, you mentioned the dare, and we're, we'll talk about the idol at some point. But I think that is an example. Like, the idol, like the dare, is kind of a failed attempt to combat what's been going on because it thinks that it's smarter than it is but we'll talk about that later on well yeah it might be a failure artistically yeah. but if there's a lot of people who watch that show and the weekend also he is the most streamed artist in the world so obviously there is an appetite for like what he's selling right. like that more sort of decadent yeah. thing uh, I, I, I haven't watched that show yet we need to watch yes. that show and talk about it next yeah. week I also will uh, mention that you know, with the way culture is right now, like, yeah, there are, there's the uh, festival that has, like, Clara, who was really great, by the way, uh, 
and Boy Genius, but you know, you could probably go like wait a few weeks and go to the Grade A festival with like Suicide Boys and Ghost Main and you know, th- <laughs> that 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 crowd is being serviced. I want to just be very very clear about that, but it's just that I don't know, maybe it is like the 90s where there are people who are into Hootie and the Blowfish and people who are into like Nine Inch Nails. And, you know, now we think of it as 90s music. But at the time, it was seen as these like very separate, uh, very separate enclaves. Whereas now I'm busting crack rear view and downward spiral <laughs> back to back, baby. Um, well, speaking of those two great albums, let's get to our favorite albums <laughs> so far of 2023. Uh, I have a column this week on Uproxx, where I wrote about 15 albums uh, that I love from the first five and a half months or so of the year. Uh, so please go read that. That's an unranked list. I just listed the records in alphabetical order. On this show, though, uh, we are actually stepping up and ranking our records here. So we each have a top five. I haven't seen your list. You haven't seen mine. I'm curious if we're going to have any overlap. I, how many records do you think we're going to have overlapping zero. in our top five? Zero. You think zero? zero? I think there's one record that you would be surprised is, is in my top five that I think might be in your top five. All right, we shall find out. Uh, so we'll see. I have, yeah, oh, I won't say any more. Uh, let's start with number five on our list. What's your number five favorite album of 2023 so far? I mean, we got to say the song of the summer of 2023 for the 27th consecutive year, Hootie and the Blowfish, Tucker's Town. Um, oh man, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. You're going to Fairweather you're going Johnson. Fair, yeah. You're going with a Fairweather Johnson pick. I love it. Yeah. Uh, also the cover of I Go Blind is on that record. Yeah. Wait, no, I'm sorry. That was a B-side. My, my bad. Hootie fans don't write yeah, in. We we failed we failed our Hootie cast <laughs> contingent. Um, uh, yeah, what's your number five record? So, uh, you know, I don't know if by the end of twenty twenty three this is gonna you know rank higher than say like the Fireworks album that we that we talked about on the first episode of the year, but this one's a fast riser, and I just kind of kind of strike while the iron's hot, so to speak. I'm putting uh, Gia Margaret's Romantic Piano at the number five spot. Uh, this is an artist who has been most likely described as like a singer songwriter they're on jag jaguar great label and this album is almost as the title implies almost entirely instrumental and there's one vocal track in the middle um and this is a mortal lock for the album i'm probably going to listen to the most in 2023 it's about 27 minutes extremely beautiful not lightweight and it to listen to this album it takes about the same amount of time for me to get to work uh, when I need a very calming uh, presence or when I'm walking my dog in the morning half asleep. Um, it's got Yoni Wolf from Y on there and David Bazan. Was not expecting those guest artists. But, you know, I don't think we've ever talked about uh, the artist Grouper on the pod. It's an ambient sort of singer-songwriter project that, like, there's a huge cult behind. I've never gotten too much into them, but this album seems to function in a way that what I hear other people get out of grouper in that it's not too gauzy it's not too distant um it's got a lot of really interesting mixing and field recording going on and just a lot of emotional variance for what is essentially at its core like a instrumental piano record so Mm. um yeah not expecting to love this one as much as i did but um yeah i think that this is just something i'm I, i see myself listening to a lot and getting a lot out of 
uh, fitting the mold of like, I, I usually need to get an ambient record or an instrumental record or like a kind of avant-garde electronic record. This seems to fit all three, but it does so within the scope of what would otherwise be seen as a singer-songwriter. Wow. I don't know this record at all. Came so, out a few weeks ago. So the way you're describing it, it, it sounds very intriguing. I am going to go check it out. That sounds really cool. I, You know, you're showing your diversity here too. People <laughs> were expecting straight emo yep. and you're giving them an instrumental piano record. This is like Ian Cohen spreading his wings, letting people know he's covering the whole spectrum of music. I love it. Was it Gia Margaret? Gia Margaret, yeah. Okay. Uh, so for my number five record, I know you know this record, and I think you like it, maybe not as much as me, we'll see if it's in your top five, but it is a record called Infinite Spring, it's by an artist called Superviolet, and this is a solo project from uh, Steve of the former Ohio emo band, The Sidekicks, and uh, we talked about The Sidekicks earlier this year when they broke up and uh, lamented their breakup, you know, they were always this... uh, underrated band they weren't underrated in the emo scene but you know they never really got like their props in like the mainstream of indie music um but as much as i like the sidekicks i feel like superviolet could potentially be an even better project uh for steve steve but by the way how do you pronounce his last name i just I, I looked this up solik Solak? i don't know okay because i actually looked up interviews with him on youtube to figure out how to say his last name and he always says i'm steve from the sidekicks he would never say his last name so maybe he doesn't know how to pronounce his last name either so i I won't feel bad about that but uh, no this record is in a way like the mature singer songwriter record that you would expect someone like this who's been in maybe more of like a youth-oriented band before this now he's moving in a more mature direction sometimes that ends up being you know kind of dull but i think in his case it really is a mature record and that you could see his songwriting really blossom like on this record i hear echoes of big star i hear echoes of figure eight era era elliot smith of uh, summer teeth era wilco uh so many beautiful melodies really smart songwriting uh it just is like the epitome of like a great power pop slash heartland rock type record and if you know anything about me you know that's squarely in my wheelhouse and i think looking at you know the first half of 2023 this is one of the best examples if not the best example of that kind of record uh so it's number five on my list infinite spring super violet you're a fan of this record right fan of this record not my top five but um yeah it's really cool to see the goodwill of uh sidekicks transferred into this and uh i mean you're right it, it we, we've joked about this on the uh, pod before, but it is like the dead center of like the indie cast uh, event interest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, number four. All right, so I'm gonna play a little more to type with this one. This is uh, from a band called MS Paint from uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, with their debut album Post American. And we talked about like on the Dare episode how it's a little disappointing that indie sleaze or just the thought of it even when we're talking about bands like model actress or mandy indiana it always tends to come from a very narrow uh new york city centric idea of it and i think that like that sort of sound of like dance punk so to speak was way 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 more broad than just like dfa or the rapture and uh ms paint 
kind of runs in hardcore circles. They have uh, Ian from Military Gun doing guest vocals, and they're on Convulse Records, which is a hardcore label. But uh, they're a band who doesn't have any guitars. They have a bass guitar, but for the most part, they're synths. And this album draws from some of the more underappreciated bands from the what dance punk era, such as The Faint and Death From Above, 1979, you know, with the bass-led songs. Um, and this album just put, takes those, but it applies it through a hardcore prism. And it's this music that gives the impression of being dumb fun. It's very up-tempo and very physical and dancey, even though it's about, you know, as the title implies, societal collapse there's even some rap rock thrown in there like there's some very much like wu-tang flows going on um and this just this just strikes me as like a debut of a band that's just doing something new and exciting and it's uh, you know we're, we'll probably at the end of the year we'll talk about like how in the post turnstile realm bands like this and military gun and fiddlehead are kind of taking the taking that momentum and shifting it more towards you know like stuff that might be more traditionally hardcore um and yeah i i think this like i cannot wait to see this band live um they're i think they're going to be touring with military gun uh in the fall so um yeah this this one like i liked it when it came out and it's just been very like i'll listen to gia margaret on my way to the gym and then i listen to this at the gym so i'm gonna be listening to these a lot (laughs) you know when you were talking about this record because this record also did really well on the stereo gum list yeah shout to them man I think it was like a top five record it was for like that. Number three, which is what happens when you have like a voting, uh, like a voting list of like five or six people. You know, it, it just made me think about that conversation we were having two years ago about like rap rock and new metal and like whether that was making a comeback. And I feel like it didn't really happen, at least not in the indie world. But then you're talking about the rap rock influences on this record. I mean, do you feel like that's still percolating out there as a reference point for for bands, like you know, bringing that in and integrating it into what they're doing? I think that there's always going to be like some element of it. Like you're not going to get bands that sound exactly like Limp Bizkit or what have you. But I think with this, there's it's it it's in the sense that like sometimes like Fugazi could have like a very rhythmic, not necessarily melodic approach to vocals. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely some like rap and rock, but not necessarily rap rock. Yeah. And and if you're in a scene where people don't have conventionally good singing voices, that <laughs> seems like a good, you know, alternate route. You know, you go the guttural kind of rap rock, uh, way to go. Uh, all right, well, that's a cool record. And again, that's getting a lot of buzz. I feel like I didn't hear much about that record until recently. And now it's like maybe I just didn't see the pieces earlier in the year, but nah, there hasn't been a, like a lot of mainstream hype about it. Like MS Paint's a band that's been kind of bubbling for a while, but um, I think that this is going to be more of a long tail thing as far as mainstream goes. Yeah, like the like the Stereo Gum thing really took me aback. So I'm like, wow, this is like higher than the Boy Genius record you know, yeah, <laughs> on this not, list. Like, they're like, not wrong. They're not wrong. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, well, you talked about Gia Margaret being your most listened to record of the year so far, and my number four album is my most listened to record, I think, of the year so far, and it's a record called uh, Dead Meat by a band called The Tubs. This is a British band. Uh, they're a punk band, but 
there's something about this band that reminds me of like the British folk groups of like the 60s, talking about a group like Fairport Convention, for instance. And I think it's because the, the singer, Owen Williams, has a voice that's reminiscent to me of, of Richard Thompson, you know, the great singer-songwriter and guitarist of, of Fairport Convention. Uh, he also sounds a bit like Bob Mould of Husker Du and Sugar fame. Uh, of course, Bob Mould is very influenced by Richard Thompson, especially like on his acoustic records, like that 1989 album Workbook. Uh, very Richard Thompson sounding. So I've heard people also liken this guy to Bob Mould as well, and that would make sense. Uh, but this is a band they play really kind of zippy, melodic, uh, uh, you know, like, I was going to say pop punk, but that's not a very good description of it. It's like... Like that band, Rolling uh, Blackouts uh, Coastal Fever is mm-hmm. a band that came to mind immediately when I listened to this group. Uh, but again, because of the vocals, it has like this really kind of rich British folky feel that really draws me in. And I could imagine these songs being played at half the speed and still working. You know, like they could be played as a dirge and I think it would work. Uh, but as it is, it's just a very fun, upbeat, 27, 28 minute record. All the songs are just really well written, you know, just like two minute gems, like left and right. And, uh, you know, the title of the of the record is like a little, uh, uh, it's a bit of a red herring because it's called Dead Meat and the band is called The Tubs. Yeah. It just sounds like, like it, 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 they're setting you up for this band to be like one of these like post-punk, like barking talk bands, you know, like that there's been so many of. Uh, in recent years, like like Idols or something, like in that vein, but they're totally not like that at all. Again, very melodic band, uh, a great kind of combination of, of, of punk and folk, and it's just been a, a, a stew I have not gotten sick of this year. I've listened to it a ton. So yeah, great record, Dead Meat, The Tubs, my number four record of the year so far. Um, number three record, what's your number three? Okay, so this is kind of like cheating um, because it's out next week and you know just given the fact that we have this episode and indie casties next week you know, i i want to give this uh, an opportunity to shine and not just like kind of stuff it into recommendation corner whether or not that happens but uh this is again very much a dead center uh pick for me it's the uh, new home is where album the whaler uh which is out on 616 next friday i'm going to be writing about it and um, we talked about their 2021 album, I Became Birds, uh, which was one of my favorites of the year. And, you know, one of the few, if only album in the emo world of the past few years that like felt like the arrival of, ex- of an exciting new voice as opposed to just like a good album that didn't, uh, expand beyond itself. It sort of reminded me of the hotel year, you know, not so much in sound, but in the way that it presented this band with a very charismatic front person who also challenged a lot of bands in the scene to think more deeply about the art they make. Um, and also like maybe a little bit shit posty. So, you know, with that setup, if that previous album, which was 17 minutes long, but they were very adamant that it was an album, uh, it was written about, uh, the front woman, Brandon McDonald's, uh, transition, uh, from male to female. If that one was like home, like no place is there, this album is more like their goodness, which is that it's more expansive, maybe less anthemic, but also more unique. Um, and if there's one thing that we love here on IndieCast, it is a concept album about 9 11. 
Uh, <laughs> this uses kind of 9-11 in the same way that Neutral Milk Hotel uh, uses like the Holocaust in the sense that it's like not actually about that, but it's kind of a thematic thread where it talks about, um, you know, American decline. There's one song called Daytona 500, which is sort of like uh, a MJ Lenderman song, except if, uh, you know, they were taking acid as opposed to smoking weed. Uh, there's a song about Chris Farley on there, which I enjoy quite a lot. Uh, it's produced by Jack Shirley, who also produced uh, Joyce Manor and Deaf Heaven Sunbather. Um, and yeah, it just strikes me as a emo album of actual vision, which, which are really hard to come by. There's a lot of albums I like that are enjoyable, but this one strikes me as like something that might be a landmark or something that like the scene can organize around. So, uh, a couple of the singles have been released. The album drops next Friday. I'm excited for it. And, uh, you should be as well. Yeah. I like the last one. I haven't heard this record yet. I'm going to check my inbox again to see if I was sent a promo of this. Otherwise, I'll just wait till next week. But uh, I did like the last record. Uh, is the is the Chris Farley song as good as the Adam Sandler song about Chris Farley? <laughs> uh, what can be? Uh, they actually, It's not necessarily about Chris Farley, so to speak. But um, it, no more than like Daytona 500 is actually about like auto racing. But you know, the fact that like there is a song called Chris Farley on there just kind of shows you that this is a band that is like very serious, but like also kind of shit posty and online. So I, it, it, they do so in a way that isn't like Tumblr snark. So did you write about this record? Uh, I am going to write about it and it will, uh, you know, my thoughts will arrive, uh, early next week on a website to be named later. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to that. So my number three record is called an inbuilt fault. It's the most poorly named album of the year, but it's my number three favorite album of the year. It's by a uh, British singer-songwriter named Will Westerman, who goes by the name Westerman. And the thing you have to understand about like my connection to this album is that um, I've been on a big kick lately of listening to Sting solo albums. Uh, the first four Sting solo albums, as a matter of fact, I will defend. And maybe I will defend in print at some point. Nothing like The Sun and The Soul Cages in particular. Uh, speak to me. I loved those records when I was a kid. I was a prodigious VH1 watcher. So the adult contemporary of the time uh, still speaks to me, and those are two beautiful records. And I think my uh, renewed love of Solo Sting has uh, in, in some way informed my love of this record, because uh, Westerman definitely works in a soft rock vein. Uh, I've described this record as if Sting made a Bunny Bear record. Uh, because there's also Bonnie Bear elements to what Westerman does. Uh, I would say that there's uh, less of a sort of druggy haze to Westerman's music than there is to Bonnie Bear. Uh, Bonnie Bear records are are an adventure sonically that people love or hate. I think Westerman is working more down the middle in terms of making, I think, pretty faithful sounding adult contemporary records that would have like been big hits in the 80s. But now, in this modern moment somehow classifies as, as, as indie rock in some bizarre way. Uh, but this is a beautiful record. Uh, you know, he's been active for a while now. Uh, you know, he put out his uh, full-length debut back in 2020. Uh, that record uh, was called Your Hero Is Not Dead. That was a good record. But this record, I think, really represents, uh, you know, him leveling up. Uh, like I said, it's 
it's a record that I think could have come out in like 1989 and been a fixture in like your dad's minivan. Like it would have been the record <laughs> that he would have been playing every day as he drove you to school. And like he'd probably hate this record, but then 20 years later, you'd have nostalgic feelings for it. Like that, I think, is what this record is. And, and, I, and I really love it. It's really beautiful. I, have, I suspect this is not your kind of thing at all, Ian. I, uh, I, fuck, with, but, I fuck with it a little bit. I like the last one. Um, you know, I haven't spent as much time with that but yeah there's definitely a lot of like boat bony vers type sting type textures and look so many people have staked out their uh claim as steely dan revivalists the sting lane is like wide fucking open for you this is like yeah you need to take it there because like 10 Summoner's I, Tales, that to me is just like one of the classic Columbia House, like oh my God. 12 albums for a penny records of its time. One of my favorite moments from The Sopranos is when Carmela is in the kitchen and she's listening to Fields of Gold. <laughs> it's like so perfect. Like that show was so brilliant at like, oh, this is the kind of music that people actually listen to. Right. It's not like The Wire where David Simon would just have people listening to like cool as shit music, you know, <laughs> no matter who they were. Yeah. It's like David Chase was like, no, Tony Soprano loves Journey and Carmela loves Sting. Like, she's a suburban Jersey housewife. She's going to put on fields of gold, pour herself a glass of white wine, and just imagine, you know, Sting giving her a massage or something. (laughs) Uh, That is what the dream is. So, I don't know. I think Sting just needs to be more memeable. And maybe then Sting can have his own Steely Dan-type comeback. Because I'm telling you, first for Sting solo records... You don't want to fuck with that guy. Those those are strong records, man. Adult contemporary gold. I'll go to the mat with that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking of like uh, the most 1993 song imaginable. It's probably me because it's like staying oh, yeah. with Eric Clapton, but also Michael Kamen. Uh, and like this was on MTV. Like this was the stuff I was taking in alongside like, uh, you know, Nirvana and Dr. Dre. Well, there's also that song that uh, Sting, Brian Adams. All for Love, some, yeah. Yeah, who's the third one? Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart. Wow, like I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Even I'm impressed that I knew it that quickly. By the way, y'all, this is not a bit. Like, this is straight improv. We did not plan to talk about Sting. Today. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, that's what we do on the show. All right, number two. What's your number two album of the year so far? All right, so... Um, so it's an album from uh, Billy Woods and Kenny Siegel called Maps. And before you know, I talk about like uh, what this album brings to the table, one thing that surprised me a lot, or not really surprised me a lot, actually quite the opposite. It was not surprising at all. Uh, in the 2022 year ends is how um, you know Kendrick Lamar's album um, was met with kind of mixed reviews, but it ended up making every single year end list anyway. And I think that was emblematic of how there aren't a ton of event rap albums at least critically speaking um you know like a lot of artists who are doing that throughout the early 2010s like kanye drake and kendrick or either really fell the fuck off or just not making as much music and a lot of stuff on the more artsy side like the post earl sweatshirt stuff like mike or wiki or whatever that stuff seems a little bit too insular and Billy Woods has, I mean, this guy has been around forever. He, like, was hanging out with, like, Def Jux people in the early 2000s. And he's someone I really enjoy. Um, he kind of is in between those two worlds. And 
he's made albums that like were acclaimed over the past couple of years, but I felt like he had kind of hit a ceiling where it's like, yep, Billy Woods, another album, kind of know what he's doing. Uh, with this album, he reunites with a producer that he that uh, he worked with on 2019's uh, Hiding Places, which was my favorite work of his before then. And what he did here is made himself like 10 to 15% more accessible. And it just completely opened up uh, this guy's entire thing. And, you, you know, it's one of the most acclaimed albums of the year. I believe it's gotten the highest pitchfork score of 2023 so far. Um, and, you know, for people who aren't totally familiar with Billy Woods, but, uh, you know, like has has indie-based taste in hip-hop. He's kind of this midpoint between Mob Deep and Mad Villain um, in that it's very thoughtful, very dense, uh, but also, like, very, very, very New York City in terms of, like, talking about, like, the danger that's always lurking. And there's a real emotional undertow of this album uh, about being on tour all the time, about, like, being separated from your friends and family, about how New York has changed in the pandemic. And um, there's also a feature from Sam Herring of Future Islands on there for the single. So, um, yeah, I think that, I don't think that this album is by any means like the new Mad Villainy or something that will fill that role. But, uh, you know, if you're interested in like hip hop, like uh, like a hip hop album that still um, feels like an event, still feels like a complete work, this one, the hype is justified. As a matter of fact, it might even be a little underrated, uh, even, even as hyped as it's been. Wow, really? Because I feel like this record's been pretty hyped. It's that good. And, you know, maybe that's just like a symptom of like not having a lot of hip hop albums to really rally around. But like, yeah, this one is as good, if not better. You know, it's like the, uh, I think we use that as an indie casting category to talk about Punisher uh, when that came out in 2020, where just an album that's like, as good as it's hype and actually better. So speaking of hyped albums, my number two album is Rat Saw God by Wednesday. And I feel like we started talking about this album in January, talking about like how this was going to be the most hyped indie rock record of the year. And it's proved to be that so far in the first half of 2023. But the thing about this record being hyped is that I feel like it actually delivered. Like I did not see really any kind of backlash against this band in a way that I might have expected after last year how Big Thief got so much praise for their album and then you started seeing people like clowning on them for their like promo shots and you know saying that they were overrated or boring or whatever. Um, I haven't seen that with Wednesday and maybe it's just because they're not as popular as Big Thief yet but this is a record that I think is what you would want from a band like this who's been around now for a few years and they've been beloved critically uh, but it hadn't made like the record that you feel like could put them to the next level and they're very easy to cheer for and you want them to make that record and then they step up and they actually make that record uh and it's just got everything that i would want from an album i you know i wrote this in my review that i feel like this is a band that is designed specifically for a person like me because <laughs> it, there this record exists at a midpoint between like Drive-By Trucker, Southern Rock Opera, Lucinda Williams, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, and Smashing Pumpkin, Siamese Dream. Like, if you just combine those records, and if, like, if you wanted to listen to all three of those at the same time, where you have, like, the themes of Drive-By Truckers, you have, like, the guitar fuzz of Smashing Pumpkins, and you have, like, the lyrical acumen of a Lucinda Williams. And again, I'm not, I, I don't want to overhype. I'm not saying, like, oh, they're, like, 
as good as all three of those people. I'm just saying that there's elements of what those people do in Wednesday, and they combine them in a way that feels unique to them, and I don't know. It just really delivers on this record. So looking at my list, you know, I said that on Uproxx, I published a list of 15 records that... Um, that I really liked, and I ranked five for this episode, but like the top two are the ones I feel most solid about, that I feel like, okay, these are my top two. And Wednesday, it's number two, but in a way it's like 1B to the 1A that I'm going to talk about here in a few minutes. Um, I know you like this record. Is it your number one, or did it not make your top five? Not in my top five. Like, I haven't connected with it as strongly as you have, Um uh, and I'm kind of surprised it isn't your number one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like, I, I'm drawing a blank as to what I expect to be your number one. But like, I mean, I figured that was going to be it. My number one has kind of snuck up oh. lately. Uh, it, it, and I, again, I'm, I'm going to let you talk about your number one first. I'm very curious what your number one is. Cause like my number one, I feel like could maybe be your number one too. I don't know. What is your number one? Well, you mentioned how Wednesday is an album that feels like lab designed to appeal to your interests. And I think you've made the joke uh, either on this pod or on uh, on your Twitter about how Paranool like sounds like it was made in a lab for me, which it is. I mean, uh, you know, so number one so far, Paranool after the magic. And, um, you know, there are times like is a little bit of like, uh, you know, inside baseball. Like whenever I write a review that gets best new music, like there's always a part of me that has to like, you know, wonder like whether I'm excited about the opportunity to write about it in that way. Like whether I'm like hyping myself up too much or, and then I usually give myself a little break from the album and then come back a month later. And like, this one's even better than I thought it was like, uh, when I first heard it. Um, I was not, certain about whether this artist who released uh, See the Next Part of the Dream in 2021, an album that was, you know, I found this basically on Bandcamp. Um, and it was self-recorded, like really, really lo-fi. Um, and I wondered like whether the songwriting was really there or whether the charm would be lost if they actually learned how to like produce in a real way. And this just blows the last one out of the water. It's a 60-minute album, but every single second does something interesting sonically. Uh, it's just so engaging and so immersive. And it, like the Gia Margaret album, it's very it, 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 it presents an emotional arc despite having no lyrics that I can understand. It's entirely in Korean. Um, and just pulls in from ev- just about every form of music I love. There's a lot of shoegaze in terms of the uh, overwhelming in the red sound, like kind of M83 style shoegaze. There's emo in terms of how it, you know, projects its lyrics. There's a lot of 90s alt rock. There's a lot of like Intel, like, uh, like lap pop going on from like 2003, like Caribou. Um, yeah, it's just like a love letter to all the music I've ever really loved as an adult. Um, and I, I just, I, I cannot get enough of this album. Um, I do, I think it's going to make them famous by no means. It's still, you know, kind of a niche record and I don't see them as someone ever revealing their, like also they're anonymous. They have played live. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I just see this as kind of a, a niche album, but just something, uh, that, uh, it just fulfills my needs in a way that's like almost embarrassing. Okay. So that is not my number one. 
I do like that record. My number one record, we talked about this on the show, and we were both a little uh, skeptical of this record, kind of indifferent toward it. And since then, I have gone from being a little annoyed by this record (laughs) to just being incredibly delighted by it every time it's on. Uh, It's a record that I feel like I'm becoming addicted to. I love listening to this record when I'm done working because it's a great, like, quitting time, it's Miller time type record. Uh, Caroline Polachek. Uh, no, uh, it's 100 Gex, uh, 10,000 Gex. Uh, I don't know. This is a band. This is going to be like a very old man type <laughs> comparison, but I do think that there's an element to this group that's like reminiscent of like what the Ramones did in the 70s, like where they looked at trash culture that they grew up with and they did this homage to it while playing like music that was like sort of like genius idiot level type music you know the music that on some level was so stupid that it became brilliant and i think like when i listen to this record i feel that way i feel like this band does to the internet like what the ramones did to like the trash culture of of their time like this band takes everything that's stupid about the internet and they somehow elevate it by dragging it down into like the murk of various different sonic references uh I don't know. I just find this record to be so delightful whenever it's on. It is the most fun record of the year. If I could make another comparison that might make you angry or maybe you'll think it's pertinent. I mean, I think there's an element of like Japan droids. I think of them when I listen to this band because they're, that's another band that is taking all these things uh, from like culture, some things that are kind of trashy, and they're just stripping it down to the bare essence and just making it all about like one, like, pleasure point after another like we're not going to have anything that's boring it's all it's going to be pleasure point pleasure point we're going to shovel sugar into your face mm-hmm. constantly and i hear myself describing it and i feel like this might just sound totally grating if you haven't gotten into this band or if you haven't listened to them but i don't know this is a record again that like i feel like i did a 180 on as the year went on and it's just become a record that like i it's the record i enjoyed listening to the most that's come out this this year so far. So for me, it had to be number one. Yeah, it's definitely going to be uh, up there for me. Uh, yeah, and I like I, we we have this phenomenon happen so very often where once you get outside the blast radius of an annoying narrative, you can actually enjoy an album for what it is. And maybe I don't know. Maybe the hype has died down enough about this band that I was able to you know appreciate it for what it is. I am shocked, though, that you have mentioned um, the Ramones and the Pandroids <laughs> as reference points, and like the one that stands out to me so much, and I can't, I'm honestly shocked you've missed this is Ween. Um, well, yeah, 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 them too for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think I just meant like in a very narrow way about. I think with the Ramones, like just do like taking something that uh again like trash culture Mm -hmm. and somehow spinning it into something where it becomes elevated Mm -hmm. even if like the execution is actually leaning into the stupid aspects (laughs) of that trash culture it like is it it becomes genius because it leans so hard on the stupidity of it like that's what reminds me of their moments and and with japan droids it was just again like the pleasure points like japan droids i felt like on celebration rock they just took like 
the greatest moments of like all the great rock records that you love and just line them up. And it's like, we're not going to have any of the boring parts. It's just going to be like the uplifting parts one after another. And like, that's why that record is so great. And I think in that narrow way, I think that's what 100 Gex are doing on this record. But yeah, Ween, yeah. Like pure guava era, Ween. Yeah. Totally in that vein. And I think that's another thing that maybe... I mean, these are all old man references. Like, I feel like for the core audience of 100 Gex, yeah, they're already this, washed if we're making these. Yeah, right these are irrelevant. But I think for like you know, because I've heard people say like, I don't get this record. I hate this band. You know, if you are an older person, I think that there are refer- there, there are similarities to like old man groups. Mm-hmm. That if you can kind of appreciate that element of what they're doing, it may be a way into this band. Because again, I think this is like the most pleasurable record of the year. Like it is the record that ma- like makes me smile the hardest when I'm listening to it. Yeah. We, we, we are full on Gex. Uh, you know, this, this kind of <laughs> speaks to the, um, we always like threaten, uh, it's kind of similar to sometimes they, sometimes uh, they'll show like soccer games in other countries with no announcers. Like that's like a kind of gimmick they do. Like maybe we're just gonna do an episode where we just go in and not like we promise not to look at Twitter for an entire week. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it is like you said, the blast radius of of the commentary. But I also, I don't know. I mean, sometimes you just don't get a record right away, and I feel like that was true for me with this record. I think there was so much with this band of them being the sort of like revolutionary group that they were gonna like change music mm-hmm. that that became a way to judge the record. You know, it's like, well, this isn't going to change music. This is just, you know, whatever it is. And that's just the wrong way to approach this album. I And I don't think that they're really intending to be like a paradigm shifting group. I, to me, this is just like, again, we want to line up all of the fun, stupid things that we love and hate about the internet and just put it together. And nothing boring. Just a half hour of like high after high after high and it totally works it's like it's totally like that kind of record i i think every couple of years you have like that kind of record and it might be a rock record it might be like an electronic record it might be a rap record um but that's this record i think for 2023 yeah maybe this is like the kind of reaction that we were talking about to the um the, uh, the 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 kind of moralism of art you know maybe it's not going to be coming from like a like a, a, a an ex, a nuclear negative review of like uh, boy genius it's going to like kind of coexist with uh Pablo Matic but which by the way like Pablo <laughs> Matic does sound like the name of a hundred gex song <laughs> no. well we were joking before we started recording that I I, I I want someone to use AI to make the good doctor. <laughs> Say it's problematic. Like, can we get him to say like, yeah, "I'm a surgeon, Doctor Han," and then he says it's problematic, like in the same voice. Like, I, I really want to hear that. Um, I was just thinking about my favorite lyric of the year comes from the 100 Gex album, "Dumbest Girl Alive." Mm-hmm. I'm so happy I could die. Put emojis on my grave. Yep, that's I'm the, the dumbest one. <laughs> girl alive. Yeah, genius. Yeah, genius. It's so great. Fucking, All right, well, that brilliant. Shout out to St. Louis. <laughs> Yeah, man, damn. 
just, I love it. Chef's kiss. Uh, that about does it for this episode of IndieCast. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie. And I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.